great that we serve a great God. I mean, he's the one and true and only God, and he's alive and living today. This next song, the title is Great Are You, Lord. Let's lift it up to him.
pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we gather this morning and our heart's purpose is to worship you. We gather singing praises to your name. We gather giving God back to you from what you have entrusted us with. God, we gather to, to hear your word proclaimed so that as it is proclaimed through the power of your spirit, you would transform us. God, you would continually transform us into your image so that we would look like you and talk like you. We would reflect your glory on the earth. God, we are grateful that you have brought us here for this purpose of worship. And God, we pray, God, that we would come humbly, but God, we would come faithfully before you to hear from you, but to give you praise for all that you have done. God, we are grateful that you have saved us. You have pulled us out of the darkness of death and sin. And God, you have given us new life through the purchase of your son. Through the debt that was paid as he went to the cross for us. And so God, we, we ask that you would help us as we attempt to live a life worthy of the sacrifice that has been made. We praise you for what you've done. 
And we eagerly anticipate, God, what is ahead. God, this morning we ask that you be with those who are sick. We know in our midst and in our community there are many who are hurting. And God, we just pray that you would give them strength. That you would give them hope to face what is ahead. God, that you would be with them in the midst of their trial and despair. That they would know your presence and feel your comfort. That, God, you might use the situation in their life to turn them from their sin and turn them toward you. God, we pray for our church that we would be found faithful in the mission that you have for us. The the mission to go into our community and throughout our county and our state and around the world to reach people with your good news. God, I pray that that would be the task before us, that we would be faithful in it. And that, God, you would do a mighty work in our midst. That we would see those who are broken and hurting changed by the power of your word and the power of your message. God, again, I pray that you would guide our heart. God, let us not be distracted by the things of this world. But, God, let us press onward toward the goal, toward the prize that you have for us. Let us press onward with the mission that you have set before us. God, let us never give up, but rather know that victory is assured in you. The victory has been won at the cross, and we will see the full consummation of your kingdom ahead. And we long for that day. God, help us to live in such a way as to be prepared for it as we go. God, we thank you for the grace you've extended us to us in Christ. We pray this morning in his holy and precious name. that he gives to us every day and you know just as Kenny said there's so many things that we can be grateful for but that has to be the top one on my list because without that without salvation I have nothing else to be grateful for
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this moment that we can sit under your word and learn what you have to tell us, Lord. And I thank you for the apostles and, and our word, Father, that we can read our Bibles every day and learn from them and learn the, the principles that you have to teach us to make us better humans, but to make us more like Christ and to share that light with the world, Lord. I pray that this week, as the world looks at us, Lord, that they won't see us in our humanity, but they will see you manifested in us, Lord, as we try to follow you closely. Father, I pray for our pastor as he brings our word, or your word. Father, I pray that your power will be upon him, that you will give him the words to speak. Father, that what we hear, we put into practice. Father, otherwise there's no, there's no point to be here. We need to learn from you. We need to hear from you. We need to spend time with you and feel your presence. And Father, I just thank you that you're here with us and that you work in us and through us. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, if you're going to Children's Church, come on down this way with Pastor Lore. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, uh, it's good to see you this morning. I know over the last couple of weeks we've had a number of folks who've been on vacation and then also folks on our marriage retreat last week, and so it's good to see you uh, this morning as we gather to worship uh, together. This morning I want us to think about a question. 
The question is this, how are we saved? How are we saved? For many of us, if we were to go around the room, if you are a believer this morning and we were to ask you of of what we frequently would call our testimony, many of you would have a story to tell, and the story would be uh, no doubt uh, different between each person, but there would also be uh, similarities. And as we shared among each other about our testimony or what God had done for us, some of those similarities might be things like someone was praying for you or with you at some point, that, that there was maybe a, a passage of Scripture that you had heard or someone had simply shared with you how you could be a Christian. And maybe you had repeated a prayer after them or they had simply instructed you to pray. But the question before us is, how are we saved? How is it possible? How is it possible that God would save us? When we look at the Scriptures, we get a very clear sense that we are quite unable to save ourselves. We might ask, what must be done for us to come to Jesus? What what must we do? Do we need to say a prayer? Do we need to, to read a certain passage of Scripture? Must a person be baptized to follow after the Lord? How are we saved? This question comes at us very clearly in Acts chapter 15. Because as we've been seeing over these last number of weeks, as we've been in the book of Acts, there's, there's been a shift that has taken place. In the early days of the church, all those who followed after Jesus were descendants of Abraham, if you will. They were Jewish people. They were of the house of Israel. But then something changed, and we saw this happen gradually, As this Ethiopian eunuch we were introduced to a number of chapters ago comes to faith in Christ, and then this man Cornelius, who who is a God-fear, if you will, but, but is not fully following after Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is, and yet he comes to faith. And then we have seen quite radically, as Paul and Barnabas have been on their journey, Their missionary journey has yielded countless numbers of people who were not in any way Jewish. In fact, many who are not at all connected to the faith of the Jews. And they have come to faith. Many who who didn't know who God was had never heard of the name of Yahweh God. They had never heard of the God of the Old Testament. And yet they have come to faith. And this brings the church to an important moment where they've got to decide what is it that actually causes us to be saved? What what is it that enables us to turn to Christ? What is it that gives us that ability to repent and believe as so many have thus far? How are we saved? We attempt to answer that question this morning as we We'll begin reading in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me 
As we reverence God's Word and read it together, Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and all the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider the matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people to his own name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that is fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes known these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted to idols, from sexual immorality, and what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaimed him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. You may be seated. How are we saved? First, we have to realize when we ask the question, how are we saved? Salvation is not obtainable through the works of man. Salvation is not obtainable through the works of man. As we begin there, we are still in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas have finished their journey. They had returned to Antioch. We saw at the end of chapter 14, they had returned to celebrate all that was happening. And while they are there, some men come from Judea and begin to teach the brothers. This is one of the reasons you have to be careful who teaches into your life. We must be careful who teaches into our life because these brothers show up from Judea and they begin to teach. And what do they teach? 
Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They begin to teach this. Now we would look at that now and say, wait a second, that's not a part of anything that is taught in the New Testament. That's not part of anything that is taught in the church. That's correct. Why is that not taught? Because of Acts chapter 15. This was a question. Do you have to become a Jew and keep the law of Moses, including the circumcision, to be saved? That's the question. This is the teaching that's happening. And as you can see in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate about it. They begin to debate among themselves, wait, is this correct? Where did this come from? Why are you saying this? The decision is then made that they should go back to Jerusalem, this group of people, and, and make this decision. As we debate what God has said, has He told us that we must keep the law of Moses to be saved? That is the debate they are having. And as they travel back, they find tons of people who are excited to hear what has happened among the Gentiles. They're excited to hear what God is doing. When they get back to Jerusalem, they're welcomed there. They're welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. They declare to them all that has happened. Clearly, the Gentiles have come to faith in Christ. Clearly, the Holy Spirit has come upon them. There is much to celebrate but the question still arises. Necessary. Is it necessary? This group in verse 5, this party of the Pharisees, they rise up and they say it is necessary. It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. It is necessary. But what does that tell us? This is a reminder for us that our salvation does not come from any work that we do. We need to understand that. Our salvation is not rooted in any of our works. It's not rooted in our good works. It's not rooted in coming to church. It's not rooted in giving faithfully. It's not rooted in being baptized. Our salvation is not rooted in our works. It's not rooted in things that we can do on our own. So you begin to think about all the things that you do in life. If you have the ability to do it on your own, it is not where your salvation comes from. Now we don't want to miss this because by the time we get to the end of this section... The, the church there in Jerusalem is telling the Gentiles, there are some things you should do. And so this is not in any way telling us that we should not do good works. In fact, Paul would write later to the church of Ephesus that we should walk in good works because we've been created for them. We were, we were made to do good things for God. We were made to do good works for God. We were made to serve Him and be obedient. But we need to understand that our good works do not obtain for us the salvation that God offers. So this morning, if you are basing whether or not you will get to heaven one day 
on how good you are, guess what? You're not going to get there. They say, well, pastor, I'm a pretty good guy. Okay. And I'm happy for you about that. But a pretty good guy does not obtain the salvation that God offers. A pretty good guy does not earn his way into an eternity in heaven with God. But a pretty good guy or a pretty good gal can earn her way this morning or his way this morning into a devil's hell forever. Because we do not obtain the salvation that God is offering through anything good that we have. And guess what? The reason for that is because God's demand is still too high than being pretty good. It will be Peter's argument later on. When, when he'll say, listen, we're trying to make them do something that we've never been able to do. He says in verse 10, Why are you putting God to the test and placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? What is he talking about? At the end of verse 5, when they said it's necessary to circumcise them, they could achieve that. They, as a matter of fact, they had nothing to do with that. That was a decision by their parents for the most part. But at the end of verse 5, in order them to keep the law of Moses, Peter says, listen, we've not even been able to do that. We like to think we did. The Pharisees group, the Pharisees group there, they, they often thought that they could do enough to keep God's law, that they could set up enough safeguards in their life to, to keep the law of Moses, but they couldn't. Why? Because salvation is not obtainable through works that we do. It's not obtainable. If you want this morning to not listen to how we are actually saved, which is coming up, but you say, no, this is, this is it for me. I'm going to do enough to get to God. Okay, I want to tell you how you do that. Okay, you writing? I know some of you are writing these notes down. How do you do that? Be perfect. Okay? Now, let me tell you something, though. If you had the thought, I'm not going to do it like the preacher is about to say in the second point, but I'm going to do it like this point, then you're already not perfect and you failed and you're going to hell. That's a problem, right? Like, that's all it takes. We say, surely it's more than that. Surely you've got to kill somebody or steal some stuff or whatever, and I've never done that. Listen, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible and you read chapter 1, everything sounds really good, and you read chapter 2, and everything sounds really good, you get to chapter 3, and it does not take a very big mess up for everything to get messed up. They did one thing that God said not to do. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, they ate from one tree that God said not to eat on. They, they were trespassing. We would look at that and say, that's a, that's a small fine in our civil courts, right? They went and they took a fruit from a tree. I mean, I, prosecutors in our counties aren't even going to touch that. They're going to say, just don't worry about it. And God said... Because of that, the relationship with all humanity is broken. That's how serious God is about sin. And that is why 
that our works can never obtain salvation because we can't do enough of them to offset the reality that one sin separates us from God. That's what we're dealing with here. This party of the circumcision says, listen, they need to keep some of these rules if they're really going to be Christians. And Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James all come along and say, wait, wait, that's not possible because none of us have been saved that way. None of us have been saved by keeping good works because none of us have been able to do that. None of us have been able to obey the law of Moses. Our fathers couldn't do it, and we can't do it, and that's why we needed Jesus. Why would we ask them to try to do it? So how are we saved? It's not through our works. And I want to tell you that if you're trying that this morning, and there are a lot of people in the world who are trying to make God happy by doing good stuff, I want to tell you that it will not make Him save you. So what do we find? We pick up in verse 6. We find that salvation must be through grace alone. The apostles and the elders gather together and they consider the matter. And they have much debate, verse 7 says. And Peter stood up and he says this. He says, y'all remember back not so long ago when God used me to preach the good news to the Gentiles. And God saved them through Christ. He made no distinction between us and them. He cleansed their hearts, talking about the Gentiles, by faith. They received the Holy Spirit just as we did. God has clearly saved them. And just as He saved us, He has also saved them. How? Like we read a moment ago in verse 10. Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe, verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. How are we saved? Salvation is through grace alone. God made no distinction He saved those Gentiles, he saved Cornelius, he saved the Ethiopian eunuch, he is saving all of these Gentiles that are far away and have never heard of God before. He is saving them, he is giving them his spirit, he is making no distinction. He is not simply saving the Jewish people by grace, but he's going to save the Gentiles by works. Peter understood, we couldn't do it. We could not keep up with the demands that God had. We could not obey His law. What is the Old Testament? It's a record of time and time and time and time again of the people of God who had heard the Word of God and had the law of God disobeying God. Over and over and over and over again. They had the written law. He had sent prophets and kings among them to give them his word and what did they do they constantly failed when they were carried off into captivity what was it that brought them back it was his grace they didn't earn it how could they ever get to the point where they earned salvation 
after they had, had been brought into a promised land, given a great promised land, and what did they do? They begin to set up idols and worship false gods who had not delivered them from slavery. Seems like it's going to be pretty hard to make that up. It's going to be hard to earn that back. And they couldn't. They had been saved through grace. He cleansed them by their faith. Frequently we, we think about, again, the, the relationship that God has with people in the Old Testament simply being about obeying a bunch of His laws. But that is not what happens. We know that from the book of Hebrews where we have this, this wall of faith that we sometimes call it. Where we see person after person who had to have faith because God had not shown them everything that was going to happen. They had to have faith because they could not keep His law. How was that faith obtained? How do we have faith this morning? It is not through our works. It is only through His grace. Jews and Gentiles alike are saved by the grace of God. They're saved by grace. So this morning, if you're, if you're trying to kind of do it on your own and say, I'm going I'm to work my way to God. I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to be a good citizen. I'm going to be nice to my spouse. I'm going to, I'm going to love my children. I'm going to work hard. You know, if I, if I work hard and I, I'm nice to people and I, I give and I'm charitable, God will look favorably upon me. Friends, He most certainly will not. If we believe in our arrogance and pride, that we can please God by being a, a pretty good husband, a, a pretty good mother, a, a decent citizen in a democracy, a one who is charitable to people around me. If I, if I only do those things, God will look favorably upon me. Friends, He will not. God will look favorably upon those who come to Him by faith through His grace. It is only because He has chosen to be gracious to us that any of us have anything. It's only because He has been gracious to us that we have any opportunity to follow after Him. We can see that most clearly in His Son. Because God chose to send His Son to us. He chose to send His Son to come down and dwell among us. To send His Son and give His life for us. To die in our place so that we could have faith. So that we could experience His grace. Friends, we were completely undeserving of the grace of God. And yet He gave that grace freely. He poured it out upon us. We go all the way back to Genesis 3, as we mentioned a moment ago, and He could have wiped out humanity at that point, and they, our first fathers, would have been deserving. We, their children, would have been deserving of that because of our sin. And yet He was gracious to us. He took our first parents in the garden and He covered them in their shame. 
He provided for them. He gave them offspring. He gave them descendants. He provided for their needs, though they had rejected Him. That is the good grace of our God. And they had done nothing to deserve that. They had done everything to deserve the opposite. And yet He showed them tremendous grace. And He has bestowed that upon us as well. He gave us grace. And that grace is how we are saved. Salvation is available to us. Salvation is available to you this morning through His grace. Salvation is available to you if you will simply turn to Him. He calls upon you to turn from your sin, which includes believing that you can earn your way and work your way to God. To turn from that belief and turn toward Him. To turn from your sin and turn to believing that His grace is sufficient. You don't need something else to be saved. You don't need another work to be saved. You only need what He has done for you on the cross through Christ. Salvation must be through grace alone. And how do we know this? Because we see third, that salvation is proclaimed by the Word of God. Salvation is proclaimed by the Word of God. This is not something that was invented. That could have been the thought if you were there that morning and you had been one of the ones who said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. You could say, that's what God has said in His Word. Surely, that's what we should tell them to do. And yet, that's not what has been said by God's Word. The assembly fell silent after Peter spoke. We pick up in verse 12. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. What did they relay? The Word of God. This is the, the story of what God has done among us. Let, let us tell you what God has done among the Gentiles that we have been teaching and preaching to let us tell you, let us tell you the Word of God, what has happened. They go on after they finish speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles and to take from them a people for His name. He's recalling what Peter had just said a moment ago. He calls him Simeon, but, but we're talking about Peter here. What had Peter done? He had relayed the Word of God. Remember, he had, he had been praying and God came to him and said, this is what I want you to do and this is where you're going to go and this is what is going to happen. And he went to Cornelius and, and those who were with Cornelius and he, he preached the word to them and what happened? They were saved and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. So Paul and Barnabas have shared what God has done. Peter has shared what God has done. Look what James said, verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return. And I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. 
James is quoting here in verses 16 and 17, the book of Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. What is he doing? He's quoting the Word of God. They have shared, Paul and Barnabas, about their experience as God has moved among the Gentiles. Peter has shared his experience as God has moved among the Gentiles. James comes and says, well, this is not something surprising. God has told us that he is going to do these very things. Consider Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. Consider what Amos has said. Who was Amos? The prophet. What did the prophet do? He brought for them the word of God. Salvation is proclaimed by the word of God. And it's proclaimed as grace. They tell of God's wondrous deeds. They tell of what the prophets foresaw. And you and I know that there are countless other passages in the Old Testament that proclaim that God's salvation would go to the Gentiles. How would it go? It would go through grace. God's Word tells us of His grace. When we look at the Word of God and we think that we've somehow got to to do all of this stuff, we've got to have all of these works so that God would would love us and, and like us and save us. Friends, we've missed what God's Word has said because the Word of God proclaims that salvation comes and it comes through grace. It's easy to preach a works-based salvation. Why, why do people like that idea? Well, they like that idea because they know what they can control. They, they know that they can, they can do so much work, and if they feel like they're not doing enough, they can do more. I think as Americans, we're very independent in that way. We like to, to do it ourselves. We like to, to make our own way. But that does not work with God. But from old... We have seen both in Amos and in these testimonies from Paul and Barnabas and from Peter how these Gentiles who had done nothing to deserve grace had the Spirit of God fall upon them. Who would have never done anything to please God. They, they would have never done anything to please God because they were worshiping their own idols. They were doing their own thing. They had their own agendas. But God came and, and interceded in their life. God came and interacted in their life. He came in and he, he destroyed the old life that they had. And He brought them new life in Christ. When we talk about salvation, we best not be talking about a salvation of works because that is contradicted in the Word of God which preaches salvation by grace alone. Where is salvation found? It's proclaimed in the Word. We don't need to go somewhere else. We don't need to try to find salvation some way in this life. We don't need to try to invent our own way of salvation, but rather we come here to God's Word and we read salvation in its pages. It starts in the beginning with the good God who made us. And we see at every point our fathers, as Peter describes them, pushing God away, running away from God, attempting to do it their own way, attempting to set up their own idols, building towers into heaven so that they can get to God. 
And yet, what do we find? God at every point, not destroying them, not wiping them out, not throwing his hands up and being done with them, but extending to them great grace. His word is all about salvation. It is proclaimed through every page. So what's going to be the verdict? The verdict in Jerusalem. The verdict picks up in verse 19. We find that salvation by grace leads toward obedience to God. Therefore, James says this, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of, of the Gentiles who turn to God. We should not trouble them. Trouble them with what? Telling them that they have to obey the law of Moses to be believers. Telling them that they must be circumcised to be believers. He says we should not trouble them. But we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Salvation by grace leads toward obedience to God. He says we shouldn't make these guys try to follow the law of Moses to be believers. We, we shouldn't make them try to do the things we could not do. We, we shouldn't tell them that, that unless you do this, you're not really in the faith. He says, but we should tell them there are some things that are important now that you know Christ. You notice he acknowledges who they are. The Gentiles who turn to God, they're believers. He's acknowledging that. He's saying, yes, the Gentiles can be saved. We've seen evidence of that. It is clear. But let's tell them some things. There will be no requirement. But he does tell them they should live a pure life. Why do we tell someone that? They'll go on, and, and this will continue in, in future weeks. Why do we tell somebody that? It's because, friends, while we should not be arrogant enough to think that we can work our way to God, we should not be arrogant enough to think that, that we, can, we can get to Him by, by doing something good, we should also realize that if He has extended you great grace and saved you from your sin, it should be transformative of your life. It should transform who you are and how you live. You can, you can abstain from things polluted by idols. And you can abstain from sexual immorality. You can abstain from eating this food that has been strangled or this food that it's in blood. But you can do all of those things and not know Christ. But they're saying as they write to this culture where these things were permissible and encouraged. And if you notice, some of those things have not changed today. It says if you're going to follow God, He should be transforming your heart. He should be transforming your mind. You are not who you once were. You are a new creature. You are a new creation. You have been made alive in Christ. Therefore, you should abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality. 
You should abstain from those things because you have been made new. You have salvation by grace. God looked at you. You could offer Him nothing. He offered you everything. He looked at you dead in your sin. Dead. He gave you new life. You are far away from Him running in the opposite direction, and he ran you down. He tackled you as you were running. He grabbed hold of you as you were about to step off the cliff. He did all of that for you. Therefore, you should live a pure life before him. Salvation by grace leads toward obedience to God. Some of those things might look very similar. Some of the things you were trying to do when you are trying to earn God's favor, they may still be the things that He's calling you to do when you live under His grace. But what's the motivation? The motivation here is, I want God to like me. I want God to save me. I'm going to do all of this because I need to get to God. The motivation over here is, man, God has changed my life. God has saved me from my sin, and I did not deserve it. I couldn't earn any of it. I couldn't do anything to make God look favorably upon me. Nothing. And yet He saved me. I want to live for Him. Because we realize that they're riding back to a culture where where these things, especially these first two things, polluted by idols and sexual immorality, they were rampant. Rampant. And it would easy, be easy to say, well, Christ has saved me, but I can, you know, maybe I still can dabble over here and dabble over there. Friends, when we have this salvation that comes by grace, it leads us toward obedience and leads us to God. It leads us toward obedience to Him, to obeying His Word. I would imagine there were some of those Gentiles that when they went back and they looked back in the Old Testament at that law of Moses, and they saw some of those things, some of those things that were very different than things their culture believed. They might have been drawn to look back and say, hey, maybe I should obey this. Not not because God's going to save me because of it, which is what the Pharisees are trying to say. But I read back in the way I should love my neighbor. That's, that's not a New Testament concept. That's an Old Testament concept. That, that we should love God with all of our heart. That's, that's an Old Testament concept. That's not a New Testament concept. They would have interacted with those and saw, okay, here's a need I have. I should follow God in this way. I should honor Him in this way. Some of them would have no doubt read where they were told to honor their father and their mother. That might not have been important in their culture. It might not have been something they would have thought about. Their their parents were pagans. Their parents were worshiping false idols. But they go back and they read in the Old Testament, I should honor them. I'm not going to honor them so God will save me. I'm going to honor them because He has saved me. Friends, when we are saved by the grace of Christ, it reorients who we are. It changes our thinking and our priorities. And we read things like, Abstaining from things polluted by idols. Abstaining from sexual immorality. We say, yeah. Yeah, I should do that. 
I should do that because God has saved me and and he has made me whole and he is pure and holy and he calls me to be pure and holy and I want to flee from those temptations of the world that try to destroy me because I belong to him. I no longer belong to the world. I no longer belong to my passions in my flesh. I belong to Christ. Therefore, I will serve him. So I want to challenge you then this morning. Do you add to the requirements of God's grace? Do you add to the requirements of God's grace? So you can do it in one of two ways. You may do it like these Pharisees here, where you say, okay, that's all nice, preacher, but I mean, really, if people are going to come to Jesus, they got to check off some boxes first. You know, they need to, they need to get off the smack they got to stop, you know, living with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, they got to stop drinking. Um, you know, they, they got to stop cussing. No. No, the Bible doesn't say any of that. Those are, those are post-grace moves. Those are not pre-grace. That's post-grace. That means after. That's after grace. Those aren't before-grace things. God didn't require anything of you. He didn't require anything of you. He just gave you grace. And so we've got to make sure that we are not, we are not putting a fence around God's grace where we're saying, hey, you've got to jump over a few of these things, go through a few of these hoops. You've got to make some stuff better before you come to Jesus. Are you adding to the requirements of God's grace? That's one. That's for others. But how about for yourself? Are you looking at your life, even this morning, saying, listen, God is not going to love me until I get some of this stuff straight. i got to kick some of my habits. i got to lose some of my friends. i got to break some of my relationships. i got to stop some of these things that I'm doing before God's going to love me. Here's the reality. If you do away with all of those this morning, God's not going to love you more than he does right now. If you fix all of those things in your life, if you fix all of them and get them squared away and they're done with, he's not going to love you anymore. But let me also tell you, if you do away with all of those things and never place your life under his grace, he's not going to change his opinion of you on Judgment Day. Because on Judgment Day, there's going to be some drunks, some of the sexually immoral some of the, the gang members and the drug addicts and whatever else who are going to be around the throne of grace and some people who dress nice and talk nice and, and have nice houses who will be told to depart from me, I never knew you. Because there will be some people who came to God because of grace and they struggled to get their life straightened out or maybe they came near the end and didn't get their life straightened out. And he extended them great grace. And people who worked their whole life to please God, but never acknowledged his grace, who will not know him in eternity, they will be cast away from him because they tried to do it on their own. So don't think that you need to get some things right in your life so that you can come under the grace of God. That is not how it works. Do you add some requirements? 
Or do you think that there's some other things that need to be done? Is there more that's got to be done? Are there more works that need to be done? More than just His grace for you to be saved? Because friends, that is incorrect. If this morning you are doing that, you need to stop because it's pushing people away from God. And if you're doing it to yourself, you need to stop. He loves you. He loves you and has given His Son to die for you. And it doesn't matter how much you try on your own to get to Him, you're not going to get there. But if you just... If you just throw those arms open and say, God, I, I got nothing, save me, he'll forgive you because he loves you. He loves you enough and he loved me enough to send his son to die in our place. Perfection is the requirement to be saved on your own, but it is certainly not the requirement to be saved by his grace. So I'll leave you with this final thought. It, your salvation is by grace. If you know him this morning, your salvation is by grace. Walk in the good works you were created for. If you know him, don't continue in that stuff. The stuff, the stuff that kept you from his grace before, now it is time to take care of it. If you know him, it's time to flee from sexual immorality. It's time to battle against your addictions. It's time to reconcile those relationships that were broken. Why? Because you're so great? No, because His grace is so great. If you've been created in Christ, a new creation by His grace, walk in the good works you were created for. Show a world that is lost and dying. There is hope to be found in Christ. How are we saved? We are saved by the grace of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you've given us abundant life. As we finish our time together this morning, thank you for impressing upon our heart that our hope is through your grace. It's not through the works that we want. It's not through trying to obey a law. It is through the grace that you have given us in Christ. You have called us to yourself, and we come with arms wide open. We come receiving what you have given us, not trying to add to it or take away from it, but receiving the grace that we have in you. Got anyone here this morning who is attempting to put requirements on others to be saved? God, I pray you would tear those down. And God, maybe more importantly, those who are trying to put requirements on themselves, that you would tear those down. God, you just call us to come. Come just as we are. Come broken sinners before you. Unable to save ourselves, but falling upon your cross. God, I pray that for those here who don't know you this morning, that you would call them to yourself. That you would remove the stumbling blocks in their way. You would remove any obstacles in their mind that prevent them from following you. And that they would come eager to receive your grace. Excited that this gift you offer is full and free. And it's available to them. God, I pray that you would work during this time. Let us experience your grace 
as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song this morning. If there are if there are people in your life and you've been putting up roadblocks for them to get to God's grace, how about stop that? You want them to get their life straightened out and, and you've been upset that they haven't and yet you've not shared with them the grace of God, which is what fixes lives. Not 12-step programs and not whatever. Friends, stop doing that. And just tell them about how much God loves them. And if you're here and you've been doing that in your own life, today is the day to stop that. To stop pushing God away by, by saying there's reason after reason why He could never love you. Friends, He loves you enough that He sent His Son to die in your place. Knowing who you are and what you've done, He still did that. What He calls upon you to do is to follow Him. To stop trying to do it your own way. And believe, believe that what he has done is sufficient to cover everything that you have done. If you've never followed him, come during this time. Let me share with you how you can know him. But friends, if you've been putting up obstacles in someone else's life, would you repent of that this morning and say, I'm going to change that. I'm going to go and I'm going to share that God's grace is free and it's for everyone who will call upon his name. you make that commitment respond to his word as we sing together coming to worship this morning and I just pray as we go that we would let God's word continue to penetrate our heart that every time we look around us and we see how broken the world is we see people in our neighborhood or co-workers or people we go to school with and their lives are just torn apart we, we see that they're living a hopeless life when we look at that we would not get puffed up and say man I'm glad that I haven't went down that road 
But we would look at that and say, if it weren't for the grace of God, that is where I would be as well. And that would break our heart toward compassion for those who are hurting. That it's only by God's grace that we are who we are, that we have what we have, and that we're going where God is taking us to go. And that we would share that grace with a world who desperately needs it. Sunday school will be starting in just a few minutes. Uh, Youth and kids over in your room, adults are in here. Hope you'll stay. Continue to study God's Word and fellowship together. Uh, Remember our Bible study tonight, 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Hope you'll be back. And again, we'll continue to hear what God has to say to us through His Word. Let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed this morning. God, thank You for Your goodness and grace. Thank You that You love us, that You've given us great hope in Christ. And as we go, God, that we would experience Your grace and mercy, that we would know Your peace and love. God, use us for your kingdom. Let us extend grace to others because you have extended great grace to us. God, we love you. We're grateful that you gave for us. And so out of the abundance of your grace, let us go and live obedient lives, serving you, working toward your kingdom, living toward your kingdom, and in expectation of what you're going to do. God, guide our hearts as we go. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.